All right. Good morning. Hope you're doing good. Happy Sunday. Let's, uh, as we start today, we've got uh, the elders have a handful of new members to present to the congregation. Um, every time we do this, I like to take the opportunity to kind of give a 30,000 foot view of what m- church membership is and what it isn't. It's not a, an elite status among our church. You don't get any special privileges. What you get is brothers and sisters who are willing to fight the war against sin together, uh, to spurn one another on into Christ-likeness. And um, so anyways, we, we take membership very seriously and uh, we've got a process uh, that we go through. So if you're interested in church membership, um, you can come talk to me after the service. I'd be glad to talk to you about that. Uh, before I mention these members, we originally had scheduled a Next Steps class for today that we have canceled. So if you were planning to go to that, you didn't sign up. So that's, that's your fault, okay? So we'll do it again next month. Um, so anyways, the Next Steps class, though, we're gonna, we, we canceled for uh, today. So n- new members are Jonathan Pettifish, Sarah Beth Little, who I know is not here, Ansley Hartman. I saw Jonathan and Ansley uh, here. You can raise your hand. Yeah, there's Jonathan. Where's Ansley's in the back? And uh, well, there's one more. There's one more. There's one more. There's one, she's going to feel neglected if we if you don't clap for her too. Uh, A.K. Hardwick, where are you? She was up front singing. Um, she intentionally leave, or is she in the room? Did she walk out? I told her I was going to do this, and so um, yeah. All right, another case of church discipline. It's coming her way. All right. Uh, well, hey, if you're new here, my name's Stephen. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor and one of our elders. And uh, we've been working verse by verse through the letter Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And so uh, last week we did kind of this really, this hard, deep dive into what it looks like to walk in love, what it looks like to walk in Christ likeness. And very specifically, Paul's la- Paul lays out what righteous living looks like and on the flip side of that coin, what unrighteous living looks like. And so what I want to do is we got to keep that in mind as we start talking about husbands and wives, parents and children, and bond servants and masters as we dive in. That's our text for today. So we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, down through chapter 6, verse 9. So it's a lot to do, but these three, really it's six relationships that Paul deals with are directly impacted by what happens in that walk in love passage. So if you're, if you're struggling with you know, sexual immorality or impurity or covetousness or all the things that he listed out last time, the first people to be impacted by that are the people that Paul talks about next. Husbands, wives, children, parents, bondservants, masters. Okay? So again, we got to keep it in context. That's why we preach verse by verse is because we don't want to skip over the stuff that's hard okay? in order to get to the stuff that makes us feel good. Right? Husbands and wives, sometimes it can make us feel good, especially if you're newly engaged in the room and you're all like, ooh, okay? I'm really sorry about that. I don't know where it came from. (laughs) My wife is not here and two of my children are not here as we talk about marriage and parenting, so I'm crushing it uh, today. So just know that I'm up here and with a lot of humility. And uh, anyways, the, the boys are playing. They're back on the diamond this morning. So you can pray for them specifically. If you've been around, you know that it's a real struggle bus over there. So, uh, anyways, they're, they're doing that. And so, but I, I'm excited about this text because I think for all of us, like all of us are impacted by these, these six relationships, husbands to wives, wives to husbands, parents to children, children to parents, bond servants to masters, and masters to bond servants, okay? And, and we'll lay out what that all means here in, in a little bit. But as we look at this text, we have to be mindful of who Paul is writing to. He's not writing to unbelieving people in Ephesus, 
right? He's writing to Christians. He even says at the beginning of this book, he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So this letter specifically, chapter 5, chapter 6, these are written to Christians. So if you're coming into the morning or you're coming in this morning and you're, you're kind of limping or you've been really wrestling through some particular type of sin, just know that Paul has a lot to say to where you are this morning. Like the expectation isn't you come to Jesus and then you live perfectly. Okay, so go ahead and release yourself from that bondage. Okay, so the, the presence of sin is still in your life. The consequences of sin are not. And all God's people said amen. Okay, hello. I know we're like four minutes in, okay, but we need you here, all right? So Paul's got a lot to say, but where we left off last week was this really powerful verse in verse 21. I'm going to read it again. That says, submitting to one another out of what? Reverence to Christ, okay? So all of these relationships are building off of what's happened in verse 21, which is building off of verse 2, which is walk in love, Okay, so here we are, we're continuing to, to lay the bricks on top of what Paul is calling the church in Ephesus to look like. And I mentioned this last week, but really what Paul's doing is he's calling Christians to live missionally in the world. Okay, so if you want to know someone's following Jesus, look at how they husband their wife or how they wife their husband, I don't, I don't, whatever. You get what I'm trying to say, right? Or look at how someone raises their children or look at how a, a child honors and respects his parents or, or look how, someone, how an employer treats his employees or how an em, employee does their job, okay? So if you want to know, if, if someone professes with their mouth that they're a follower of Jesus and yet they do a terrible job, they do the bare minimum and they never show up to work on time, it doesn't matter what they say, all that other people see is that you're not any good at your job, you don't care. Same thing, husbands and wives and parents and children. And so this is a text calling the church to live a life on mission, okay? To live a life of purpose, to live a life identified as a follower of Jesus. Jesus was a son, okay? So he has a lot to say about parents and children, okay? He is, ultimately, he is the head of the church, so he has a lot to say about marriage. And then obviously as he is working in the world, he, was a, he had a job. He was a carpenter. And so he has a lot to say about the marketplace. And so let's dive in. I'm going to read. We're going to break this up, okay? Typically we would read the whole text, but we're going to break it up this morning. We'll, we'll talk through husbands and wives first. So we're going to start reading chapter 5, verse 22, and then we'll stop and, and we'll talk a little bit, and then we'll pick back up in chapter 6, okay? So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, this is the word of the Lord. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it 
just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this morning. We're thankful for a place and a space and time to gather together uh, as brothers and sisters to sing songs uh, to remind us of who you are and what you've done in the world, to study your text on, on what it looks like for Christ to have loved and, and gave himself up for the church, what it looks like to be uh, parents, what it looks like to be children. So God, I pray now that you would help us to see clearly what it is that you'd have for us. So we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul starts by talking about marriage, okay? He starts talking about husbands and wives, okay? How many husbands and wives do we have in the room? Zero. Cool. All right, a handful, okay? It's important for us to remember that while this passage looks on the surface to be about marriage, it is not primarily about marriage, Okay, now we're going to get a lot of useful uh, things and ways to apply this text to the life of marriage, but it is not first and foremost about husbands and wives. This passage is first and foremost about Jesus and the church. Okay, so don't miss that. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about husbands and wives, okay, because it's right, but it's not primary. Okay, you can be a decent husband. But if you're not a follower of Jesus leading your home, you will never be a fulfilled husband. Okay? You will never be a right husband. And so as Paul builds this up and he's working on, he first starts with wives. Now, marriage exists, kids, this is your first point. Okay? Marriage exists to show the world the glory of Christ and his church. So we have to start there. Okay, so if we start there, all these other things, and just so you know, like one of the most hot-buttoned issues today is this verse, verse, of, uh, verse 22, okay? And we're, we're going to spend some time talking about it, all right? But when we talk about submission, submission started not in verse 22 when it's talking about wives. It started where? In verse 21, where it's, we're all to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, a lot of this draws from uh, creation imagery, right? It goes back to the garden. Specifically, Paul is quoting back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where he says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become how many flesh? One. A single flesh. They now, the two have become one and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Okay, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna exegete that today. We'll save that for a branch school of theology at some other point in time. But those two things go together, okay? That a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And as they are one flesh, there is now no shame, okay? So understand that the relationship between a man and a woman uh, that's consummated, if you will, in marriage, there is no shame. When you take that consummation out of marriage, that's where shame enters in. 
okay? So let's just keep it in perspective of what Paul's already talked about in chapter 5. So we can't miss over, we can't breeze over that. It's a tough text. It just is what it is. But the, the idea here, we need to have a better understanding of what biblical marriage is. And here's the great reality, okay? is that the erosion of culture that we see, all the things that we would say, hey, I don't think this is of the Lord. I, I almost 100% can guarantee it ties back to the erosion of biblical marriage. Okay? The deterioration of strong biblical men. The deterioration of strong biblical women. When we let loose of those things, guess what happens? Conflict. Selfishness. Idolatry. And then we get all the other things that the world now is saying, hey, these things should be celebrated. And the church is saying, hey, no, no, divorce is not good. Abortion is not good. Relationships, sexual relationships outside of marriage is not good. I don't care what your professor says or what you saw on Instagram. Your body is not your own. And so as we go up against this ethic now that the world has said, hey, this is good and right because you feel good, it must be right. The Bible is very clear in our, the idea that marriage is central to a healthy culture, okay? And I, I'm going to be very clear. We had men's gathering on Friday night. I said this again last week. I was talking specifically to the dudes. Our communities are only as healthy as our men are strong. Please hear me. Where there are weak men, there is a corrupt culture. 100% of the time, where men abandon their rights and responsibilities as dads, as husbands, what happens? The statistics are very clear. Crime goes up, dropout rates go up, okay? And what do I mean by strong men? I don't mean dudes who are like CrossFitting. Sorry, CrossFit grew in the back, right? Although we're glad they're in the back because if somebody were to come in here and try to do damage, they're closest, okay? So we're good. But that's not what we mean by strong biblical men. What we mean is men who are willing to fight for the spiritual formation of their wives. We're going to get to that. Men who are willing to fight for the formation, the discipleship of their children. What would our world look like if we celebrated men who discipled their children? Every time someone's baptized out there, we should bring their parents up and say, even if they're not great parents, Bring it up. At some point, someone has had a role in their life. The same is true for you and you're in the, if you're in the room following after Jesus. But we need godly men leading our homes with strength and resolve, with courage and conviction. And we need good godly men submitting to the loving leadership of their husbands. Okay? Are we clear? All right, let's keep rolling in this text. The husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. Notice the context there. Okay? The church did not die for Christ. Christ died for the church. Okay, so there is a sense in which the man has this responsibility to love and serve his wife as she loves and serves him. Okay, this idea, so wives are called to submit to their husbands and husbands are called to what, their wives? What does it say? Those words are very close to each other. Loving your wife is an act of submitting to her. Okay? And submission, women in the room, you can still be strong and submit. In fact, I would say true submission is the strongest form of strength the world has ever seen. As Christ even submitted himself to death, death on a cross. He could have in an instant climbed off of that cross, peeled the nails off and walked out. Okay? He could have. And yet he submitted himself to the will of the Father. Why? Because he loves 
well. That's the type of love that we're talking about. So love and submission are very, very close here. But we can't be scared of this word submit. Now there are men that I know who are not worthy of being submitted to. This is just the reality of sin in the world. So what do we do then? Maybe you're in the room and, and your, your parents are walking through a split or you've seen your dad mistreat your mom. How do you respect them? We're going to talk about parents here in a bit. But women in the room, the Bible is very clear. It doesn't say women submit to men. What does it say? It says wives submit to whose husband? Yours. It stays within the context of family. It stays within the context of a covenant, of a union that God has given. Marriage is a gift from God. Don't let anyone tell you that it's not. One of the things that we talk about when we're doing pre-marriage counseling is that marriage doesn't exist to make you happy. It exists to make you holy. So that goes in both directions. Men leading your wife and wife submitting to your husband. That is how together you are fighting for sanctification. What would it look like for the church to say, you know what, Jesus, no thank you, we're going to do this on our own. It would look like probably some of the churches that we see in the world today, unfortunately, where we let loose of the Bible, we let loose of the authority, of the inerrancy of God's word, we let loose of who God is and what he's doing in the world. We say, oh no, he's, oh, God's okay with that, you just keep doing your thing. That's what we do. We effectively said, hey, Jesus, we didn't really need you to die. We got it. We're good. When we do that in the family context, we will see conflict and we will see division. There were some stats that came out in 2008. Maybe some of you guys have seen these. Barna, who does research really well. I'm not sure they did this research really well, just for the record. Um, But they came out and said 50% of marriages end in divorce. That was the number. Have you ever heard that? Then they qualified it that said that number is still true inside the church. People who claim to be Christians, that number is still just as high, 50%. Okay. Now, those, the, the metrics that they used were kind of predictive, and they've kind of came back around about 10 years later and cleaned some of that up. But the numbers aren't any better. Okay. Just because it's now 30% of Christian marriages in divorce instead of 50, we still have a real problem. We still have a fracture of what Paul, what God is calling Christians to do. Now, here's the, here's the nuance here, is the second time they did the research, they started asking about how devout you are in your experience within Christianity, and the difference between families who are committed to a body, a church, who were discipling their children, who were fighting in spiritual formation for one another, praying together, reading the Bible together, those numbers catapulted. They're almost zero. Almost zero. And so what was, it was the people who were just checking the box. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I I don't know anything about what God wants for my life. I don't know anything about what God wants for my family. And I'm mad, and so I quit. Right? And so what we see here, and what this research kind of indicates, is that you guys, both, husbands and wives, you have to fight, yes, for each other, but you have to fight for the formation of your family, right? Church matters, okay? Church isn't going to save you. But listen, as quickly as you get out of the rhythm and the routine of showing up here or showing up to another gospel-centered Bible-teaching church, the sooner division and conflict start creeping into your family. 
Now, it's not a safeguard, okay? Just because you come to church every week doesn't mean that you're never going to have conflict in your house. You will, I promise, okay? Unless you live in my house and there's never conflict. That's not the way that it works. But it's people who are committed to growing in Christ. Those people, they're willing to go to the mat for one another. There is nothing in this world that would make me want to walk away from my family. Nothing. But we fight every single day for the formation of our children and for one another. And we don't get it right all the time. Okay, so don't, I'm not up here as some perfect husband. I'm certainly not. That's why my wife isn't here today. Okay, get off of me. All right. Now, listen, I think the, 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 the tip of the spear is that we need to saturate our families with good, godly, gospel-centered discipleship. And if we're not doing that in the church, we can never expect for it to happen in our homes. Okay? So we should fight for that. The last thing we'll say, and then we're going to move in specifically to talking about husbands here for a second. Marriage is permanent, guys. It's permanent. It's sacred. It's intimate. It's mutual. And it's exclusive. That's a biblical view of marriage. Anytime we let loose of one of those things, it's no longer biblical marriage. Okay? And so what we see in our culture, we want marriage to be whatever we want it to be, right? We see this all over the place and we celebrate it. It's because we've taken elements of that and we've peeled them back and we said, no, marriage is just meant to make you happy. The church has to stand up against it. Submission, wives, the last thing I'll say to you, submission is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. And our world says a lot, right? They say, we need, we need strong women. And you know what I say? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We need strong women in Christ Jesus. Right? What our world really means by strong is independent. We need women who just do their own thing, fly to the tune of their own drum or something. I don't know. Right? None of us were meant to live life independent. We are all dependent. All of us. All of us dependent on the Spirit to move in our lives it takes a movement of the spirit, women, to submit to your husband. There is no doubt about that. So if you're new in marriage, be praying those prayers. God, would you soften my heart? As conflict begins to enter in, God, would you soften my heart? Help me to see clearly, right? And at any time, girls, if your husband leads you into sin, revolt. That's the only time where we don't submit. If your husband leads you into sin, you say, no, thank you. And then you call me, and then we're going to go, go to war. Okay? We're going to go get those CrossFit dudes in the back, and we're going to take somebody out. Okay? You think I'm joking. I'm not joking. All right? Husbands. All right. Five actions. There's five actions of Christ's leadership that we see here. The first is that he loved the church. This is significant. We like to blow past this all the time. But it's only because he loved the church that then he does these other things, right? Then he gave himself up for her, brutally. He gave himself up for her. There was no extent in which he wouldn't reach for the church, okay? The third thing we see is that he sanctified her. Now, here, husbands, you are not God. You can't save her, and you can't sanctify her. Your, your job is to help grow her. Don't ever give her a reason to look at God and be like, I don't want any part of that because he's a follower of Jesus. Your wife should look at you and be like, I see him pursuing the heart of God. That's what I want. 
That's what Paul's talking about here. The fourth thing is he cleansed her, and the last thing is that he presents her. He presented her. I want to be real. I can say this because Megan's not here. I'm extremely proud to be known as Megan's husband. Seriously. That sounds super cheesy. I don't mean it. Like, I'm going to walk around town and be like, this is my wife. It's my wife. She goes to bat for our kids. She's invested in their lives. She works in our community. She, she is a strong woman. And if you've ever heard her lead worship, you know that her heart is of the Lord's. I celebrate her. I love her. Somebody text her, please, real quick. Let her know, okay? <laughs> but we present our wives because we've grown in Christ. We've been married almost 14 years, okay? I hope, we get, I hope we're married for 114 years, okay? I know there's people in the room who've been married almost 60. I long for that. I hope it's true for us. But even if it's not, every day, our job, we have three children, is to fight for their formation and to fight for each other. And we do that. And it looks different every single day, okay? But our goal is to continue to push one another towards Jesus. The last thing he says is that he provides and cares for her. That's the one that's ongoing. Okay, so he loved her, he gave himself up, he sanctified, cleansed, and presented her. Those are all past tense. Okay, Jesus does that to the church in his death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, and now, actively, he provides and cares for her. Okay, so now you can look at this, husbands, as you continue to provide and care for your wife. During the time that this would have been written, women would have been viewed as second-class citizens. Don't, like, don't breeze past that. Okay, but not here. Paul cares very deeply for women. The early church fought for the rights of women. They were part of the family of God. They are, you are a part of the family of God. And so the world would have read this and be like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem, this doesn't seem right. The gospel is counterculture, okay? So we gotta remember this, that husbands are called to love their wives. All right, here we go, let's keep going. The last thing here is that God ordained marriage. It is a good and right gift. That Christ sets the pattern for marriage and that the Spirit empowers marriage. That's what good godly marriage looks like. God ordained, Christ is the, he is the image, he is the pattern, and the Spirit is empowered. Don't ever forget it, okay? Lots of books on marriage, some of them are good, some of them are not. All right, husbands, we find in Christ the model for sacrificial living. Christ is the model. But just as Christ is the model for husbands to sacrifice and love and to be strong and to be tender, wives, the church, Christ is the model for intelligent, gracious, trusting, and respectful submission. So we, can't, we can never move away from this idea that marriage is Christ and the church. Ultimately, that is the image. Okay? All right, parents and kids. I really wish my kids were here today. Mary London is here in the room today. Mary London, I love you. I think you're awesome. Is she smiling? No, she's hiding. She pulled her clipboard up. All right, kids, your second point here is that we honor God when we obey our parents. Okay, let's read the text. Children, verse 1, chapter 6. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This idea of obedience and honor, they're very similar, but they are not the same. 
Okay? Obedience and honor are not the same. Obedience is doing what your parents have asked you to do. Okay? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I need you to make your bed. That's obedience. Honor is the motivation. It's at the core of, of their heart. Right? I'm going to obey my parents because I love them. That's how we honor them. Okay? Now, for most of us in the room, maybe not, I don't know, we don't live with our parents anymore. So there is a real sense in which you, when you leave your parents and become a husband or become a wife, now your obedience is not to your parents, but your honor is always there. Now, this is where it gets really complicated. Well, what if I have bad parents? <laughs> or what if I have absent parents? Like, how do I, how do I honor them? The, the, the real answer to that is I don't know. Every, every situation is a little bit unique. And we have some in our life where it's very hard to figure out how to honor people in our life. So what do we do? We try not to ever talk negatively in public about them. Okay? That's a way to honor them in a way if you have bad parents, right? Or if you have absent parents or whatever, right? Is we don't want to talk about our parents in a way that brings shame upon them. Okay? We want to love. There are some of you in the room, you need to be praying for your parents, okay? One of the things that my parents did early on, I'm the oldest of four boys. I remember my parents praying for us all the time, all the time. My mom still will text and be like, hey, praying for you today. That's, that's all she'll say. She's not asking like, how I'm doing. She's not asking like, what, what's for dinner? You know, it's like, hey, just want you to know, I'm praying for you. And those texts mean more to me than anything else. There is power in our prayers. So kids, our job, all of us have parents in a room. Good parents, bad parents, absent parents, it doesn't matter. We all have parents in a room. Our job is to honor them. As we honor them, we are honoring God. Who saw fit to give them to you as your parents? His divine sovereignty and grace to you is that no matter who your parents turned out to be, he thought it was fit for you to be a part of their story. So we got to remember that. As kids get older, we tend to disobey parents, okay? It's like, I'm not going to do that, right? That has more to do with respect than obedience. Parents that haven't earned the respect of their children, right? What does Paul say? Fathers, don't anger your children. Now, he doesn't say don't discipline your children. He says don't anger them. There's a real sense in which, like, you can always be iron fist, okay? And your kids will lose respect for you because it's always no. Or it's always you shouldn't do that. Or it's always you're raising your voice. Or I'm always getting time out. Or always getting a holy whooping. Anybody ever had one of those? Okay. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline. What does this sound like? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It sounds like the Great Commission. Now this goes to all of us, moms, dads, people in the room who aren't yet moms and dads. Our job is to disciple our kids in the best way that we know how. And our job as a church is to come alongside parents and to help give you tools and resources to do that. Okay? Our job is to disciple our kids, to discipline and teach them the instructions and commands from Scripture. All right, parents. The early church had a very high regard of kids, which would again was countercultural to the day. But the, the early church would have put kids in, like they held them in high esteem. They saw them truly as a gift from God. We should never forget that. 
Jesus was also often the most tender with children, right? He'd be pretty abrasive sometimes to his disciples, which I always love those encounters, right? Hey, wake up. I just asked you to pray with me for like 30 minutes. But with the kids, what does he do? He, he always is inviting them in, right? He, he never qualifies it. He never says, put your shoes on. He never says, make your bed. He never says, he just says, come to me. And the children would flock to Jesus. He was catalytic, right? And as he would bring the children to him, guess what? They were on the front row for all of the stuff that he was doing in the world. Okay, when, when Jesus turns water into wine, there were bound to be children who watched him to do it. When the tomb was empty, there was bound to eventually be a child, probably a middle child, who was like, why are they all running to an empty tomb? I'm going, right? And they go, running off, right? And so what we see here is that Jesus loves children. And for us as a church, okay, and we talk about this every time we do anything that has to do with kids. Every fifth Sunday, we invite kids into the room and we talk about it. Our job is to come alongside parents and say, hey, listen, I know that what you're going through is really hard right now. We love you. We're willing to help you in any way possible. Okay? So church family, as you see a kid, I challenged you this last time kids were in the room. Learn their names. Learn their names. I'm not asking you, I mean, maybe I'm asking you, but I'm not asking you right now to go serve in the kids' ministry. For some people, that's maybe not where you feel called or you're not gifted there or whatever. You can still go learn their name. And you can still, every time you see, hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Right? As you're praying throughout the week, you can be thinking through these children's names. Ultimately, our prayer is that, God, would you, would you turn their hearts on to you? Would you illuminate them to the, the power and work of your spirit? Would you save them by grace through faith in Christ alone? Can you imagine the day when we start to see some of our children out in the parking lot in a horse trough being baptized? What a day that will be. And that should be our prayer. Every parent that I know, every single parent, whether they're like really walking close with Jesus or maybe not so much. They all want to raise good kids. Parents in the room, I want to raise a good kid. But Christian parents in the room, our goal isn't to raise good kids. Our goal is to raise godly kids. And that's what I want. I want to look at my three children one day, and God willing, and say these children, these adults now, are following after Jesus. And somehow God saw fit to place them into my life. There are times, full disclosure, it's really, really hard. Parents, am I right? There are days where you're like, I hope the kid doesn't go to jail. And there are days where I hope I don't go to jail. <laughs> that is parenting. That is discipleship. And so when we love our children, as we, as we see to, to see Jesus reflected in them, how do we do that? In our house, we try to talk about Jesus a lot. Through the songs we, we play, we, we always have music going in our house. It's not always Christian music, okay? You don't have to do that. But it oftentimes is. Like Mary Lennon was sitting here this morning, and she was singing the songs that we're singing because she knows them. We talk about Jesus a lot. We pray every night, or as often as we can, not every night, okay? We're reading through the Bible together. I think every child, every kid that's being raised in a Christian home should graduate and leave for college having read with their parents the entirety of God's Word. 
You're like, back up, bro. It's not too late. If you have kids that are older, invest time. Read the Bible with them. You want them to follow after Jesus, teach them Jesus. Talk about Jesus. What did Jesus care about? The other thing I think a lot about with our kids in particular is we talk about our sin more than we point out their sin. Okay? Sometimes I'm not a great dad. Okay? Just, just know I'm a human. Okay? Sometimes I'll react or I'll, I'll go from zero to a million miles an hour in like 0. 0.0 seconds. Okay? That's just that's my broken wickedness, right? But I'm going to be the first person who pulls that kid aside and say, you know what? I was out of line. I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? And the next time, right, we move forward and now they see, okay, hold on. If my dad or my mom, rarely mom, right, if my dad is talking about his sin, then I'm going to be more willing to talk about my sin. Create a culture of confession and repentance. Kids need that. You need that. Okay? So as we do that, we're teaching our children what it looks like to follow after Jesus. Okay, the last relationship here, and we'll do this one quickly, is bond servants to masters. Okay, some of, you, some of your Bibles might say slaves. Okay, what we really are talking about, what Paul would have talked about back in the day, was not slaves like schools teaching you slaves. Okay, this is more of like uh, the people who are working in your family. They had some rights, but they didn't have all rights. Okay, but it's been like indentured servitude kind of thing. Okay, and so what for us, like most of us don't have that. Right? Anybody have slaves in the room? I'm just asking real quick. Okay. Are you sure? All right. But we do have relationships of authority. Okay? And this is what we have to do. Now, I think we need to be really careful sometimes when we take words that are used in the Bible and we try to apply them. Like, we don't have slavery. Okay? But we do, I, I do have a boss. Okay? Or I do have a, a team or employees, right? So what we have to do is we take these things and we try to apply them to our life. And so that's what we're going to do here. The, the last thing, kids, on your little sheet is this, that selfless service of others is always seen and known by God. Okay? What does selfless service actually look like? It means doing the things that may, you may not have been asked to do, not for the attention, not as people-pleasing, not as seeking the eyes of man, but doing it as a way to serve those people, whether they ever see it or not. Here's what I love about the way that we do church. The chair you're sitting in got set out by somebody this morning, and you don't know who it was. And next week, they're going to come back, and they're going to do it again. That's what service looks like. So how does that look in the world? How does it look in the marketplace? The first thing I would say, if you're an employee, okay, if you have a job, is to do your work as unto the Lord. That's what Paul's getting after. Do your work as if your boss was Jesus. Because in a very real sense, he is the great authority in your life. Whether you have a good boss or a bad boss, the Bible doesn't qualify it. It's really easy to be like, hey, I'm not going to do that because you stink. Or I don't like you. Or you yelled at me last week. Okay? But in a very real sense, we do our work as unto the Lord. Christians, I believe this, should be the hardest working people in every area of the marketplace. I don't care what your job is. It doesn't matter. You should be the hardest working person on your team. Students, you should strive. You don't have to be a perfect student, but you should work your little hiney off as hard as you can, as unto the Lord. It's not for the grade. Okay? Same thing. We don't, do, we don't work hard at our job in order to be recognized or to get a raise. Okay? We do it because we are working as unto the Lord. All right, masters, if you have any sort of leadership role, 
in your company or at school, you have an obligation to do your work as, guess what? As unto the Lord. You are, I want to be very clear here, you are a figure of authority. You are not the final authority. Okay? There is nothing that people hate more than somebody who's on a power trip. Okay? Christians don't have power trips. Ultimately, we have no power. God has saw fit in a season to give us a place of authority. And what do we do with that authority? We leverage it for the kingdom of God. In the way that we do our work, in the outcomes of our work, the way that we treat our people, okay? That includes the way that we pay our people, all right? We are a figure. We are not ultimately authority. Don't be threatening and don't be passive. Have you ever had a passive boss? I'd rather be threatened than have somebody who won't tell me what to do, right? Your job is to help other people do their very best. So all of these commands, all of them, in our primary relationships are all practical applications of what it means to walk in wisdom and to walk as a follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus make really good husbands. They do. They make really good wives. They make great parents and even better children. Followers of Jesus make good bosses and good employees. So together as a church, what we have to do is we keep fighting and striving for Christ's likeness. But the primary focus on all of these relationships is Christ and the church. So we take that and we apply it to our life. What is the key theme? The key theme is love. To love one another as Christ has loved us. At the end of the day, we're all called to honor God by the way that we live. We honor him in truth and we honor him in love. In what we do and in how we do it. How you treat people matters. So as we close our service, we go to a time of communion and prayer and response. And so if you're new here, the way we've got communion tables on either side and you just kind of come through the line and grab a piece of the bread and you dip it in the cup. But some of our team, our elders and staff will be around the room. If you want to pray, we're here to do that. We want to do that. Uh, if you can't find, if you don't know who has staff because we don't wear name tags, um, we'll, you'll find us or we'll see you after in the hallway or something. But as you go to remember the sacrifice of Jesus at the table today, be mindful that it's that sacrifice that now leads us into all of these relationships. These relationships matter. And how we interact with them in the, in the world now tells us ultimately, tells the people around us what we actually believe about Jesus. So let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father, we are very thankful uh, for this morning. We're thankful for a time of worship we're thankful for uh, your word. We're thankful that you speak truth through your word. That uh, even as uh, you call us to, to yourself, you give us uh, means and methods to follow after Jesus. So I pray that you would help all of us, whether we're married or not married, whether we live at home or we don't live at home, whether we have a job or we don't have a job. Ultimately, I pray that you would help call all of us to living our lives for Jesus? Would you call us all to be missionaries who go to the ends of the earth, baptizing and teaching all that you've commanded? God, I pray for all of our kids in the room. I pray for my kids this morning. Just that you would, you would just give them a spirit 
uh, to live their life after Jesus. God, I pray that you would save them and you'd save them quickly and, and early in their life and that they would spend all of their days in worship and praise to you. So, Father, now as we respond, we go to the table, I pray that you would go before us. Help us to see clearly who you are and who you've called us to be. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.